Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And I have a statement to make today. Yes. I realized this the other day. I say fuck an awful lot. And I was at a friend's house, a friend who lives in the neighborhood who had foot surgery and she's like stuck on her back for weeks. And so I came to visit her and I was sitting at her apartment with her husband and I was just like, boom, 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 fuck, 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 fuck. And I do it on the podcast. And I, I I feel like I gotta like get some new words. You know, I will say this is the one thing about having a kid where like, I mean, it's one of the things about having a kid that it just makes you have to filter a lot because mm -hmm. you can't say fuck all the time. So you do have to, you know, you, you do have to expand your vocabulary somewhat. I mean, because mm -hmm. even I don't just say fuck. I say Jesus Christ. Oh, fuck Jesus Christ. God damn it. Like, I, I just, like a, you pile on. What is this bullshit? You know, it's <laughs> like, I like, I think you're a cursor or you're not a cursor. And I am a cursor and so are you. But I do think that making a cognizant effort to do less, like to expand your vocabulary it helps with recall because part of the reason we're saying fuck so much is because the other words aren't coming to us as readily. Mm. So I do feel like making, being like, okay, can I, what can I replace fuck with is, can be a useful activity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to replace it with that quite packs the same wallop though. 
No, there's nothing. I mean, and there's certainly, there's certainly no like corny, there's certainly no like corny fudge. There's no like. No, no, none of that. And the thing is, it's just a handy word. Like it can be a noun, it can be a verb, it can be an adverb, it can modify something. It just like, it works in all circumstances. So anyway, I blame my mom because I think she said fuck a great deal. Okay. Okay. Um, And I think she blames her mom for that. So it's part of a, a generational tragedy. It's a well, or just a generational potty mouth. Who gives a shit? I mean, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I know. It was just on my mind today. What's on your mind? Well, we should say first off, books are on my mind because we have Maris Kreisman on today. And mm-hmm. Maris has like lots of amazing book recommendations. I'm super happy to hear someone who has book recommendations outside of all the books we've already heard about this year. Mm-hmm. Um but what's on my mind is I watched on Sunday night um, Succession. By the time this comes out, the finale will have come out. But um, Succession, the penultimate, is that it? It's the penultimate. penultimate yes. Okay. The penultimate episode was incredible. Did you watch it? I did. And I thought well, it was incredible. And I know that, like, I, I feel like we got to talk about the thing that's going to be a spoiler. Um, okay. Can we talk about, well, before we talk about the thing, that's going to be a spoiler. I want to talk about the thing that I want to talk about, which is, um, the onion with the mom and the daughter. You're my onion. Did you, did you oh, see yes, that? Yes, yeah. When Shiv's yes, talking yes. to her mom yes. and, and she's like, you were always such a difficult pain in the ass and no, it's because of you. No, it's because of you. And you're my onion. Like you're the thing that makes me cry. <laughs> I, I have rarely in my life seen a mother-daughter dynamic that felt that real to me mm-hmm. because we're always yep. trying to gloss over these mother-daughter dynamics as if there's going to be some magic in it, you know, when actually sometimes mm-hmm. it's just, it's just a lifelong struggle. Mothers and daughters are a lifelong struggle and it doesn't matter if you adore your mother. No. It just doesn't. It 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 and and God forbid you have anything other than positive feelings. It only gets a thousand times more complicated. But mothers and daughters, it's tricky shit. Tricky shit. And the accountability from the daughter's side. I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, oh God, like I don't know about you, but I was a difficult kid to raise. You know, I was mm-hmm. I'm hyper emotional. I'm, you know. I'm always tracking people's like, well, well, what did you mean by that? Why did you say, I'm like, I'm a very big thought and feeling policer, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that was incredibly difficult for my mother. Like, just let me live. You know, I couldn't just right. let her live. I mean, certainly my mom is, uh, being a teenage mom has, ten- has plenty of blame here. But that that dual accountability for the struggles in your relationship. I don't think we think about that as much. Like, and I really liked watching the the mother in this be like, you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. You were nearly impossible to raise anyway. Okay. So that was incredible. The dad and Kendall stuff was incredible. That scene where they're sitting down to eat is like, yep. But the whole thing, Roman, the dick, the tick pick. Although someone said to me, I don't think that Logan Roy would have been as pissed off about that. But yeah, no, I, I, 
I don't know. I, I, I haven't liked this season as much as other seasons, but I think it may be the best written season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was building. And that was really what the show does really well. Because I think it did this in the first season. In the first season of Succession, it was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. And then it was like a slow build, a slow build. And I think very mm-hmm. similarly in the first season, the last two episodes were like, oh, my God. Like, and this is how this felt. Because I I mean, I need to rewatch it because there were so many like unbelievable moments and character development and just like relational dynamics that I thought were just incredibly well-performed and well-written. Um, but then of course, will they do the unthinkable and would it be a better show? Spoiler alert for listeners who have not caught up, just stop listening for the next like two minutes. If they kill Kendall, is it a better show or a worse show? If he's really dead. Because the end of this episode ends with him looking like he's drowning. I don't think they would kill Kendall unless they could do it and make it a better show. Right. right. Like they, they, they've got to have some thoughts. I, I did see, I did see somewhere that like, that would ultimately finally cause suffering for Logan. Mm-hmm. Like finally there's some, cause you know, he's had no, there's, you know, he's, he's behaved horribly his whole life with, you know, not a lot of accountability, not a lot of things have bad things happening to him. I'm looking for a word for this. and I can't find it, <laughs> um, <laughs> but if his son dies, the one who is probably his favorite, then there's, then there's some real repercussions for him. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it does make it a more interesting show. And if next season, which I don't know if next season is the last season, but I've heard that they didn't think that it was going to, they didn't want it to stretch out. They didn't want it to be like another lost where there's just like, oh, we're just filling shit in the middle. Right. Um, Is it, is next season a season about coming to terms with Kendall's death? That's, that's very interesting to me. Yeah. It takes it in another interesting direction. Like how do a bunch of horrible people mourn? Yes. Yes. Did you read? Did you go ahead? Go. No, 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 no. You. I was going to say, did you read the Jeremy Strong profile in the New Yorker? Started it. Okay. I mean, it's it's very intense. He seems like he's a real pain in the ass collaborator. I mean, speaking of, we talk about ambition later on in this episode. His ambition is pretty intense. Um, and you know, he's been trying to be this kind of actor for his whole life like had posters of um of yeah, i read that part yes Who had posters have? of al pacino and yeah. um daniel day lewis and and um dustin hoffman and wound up working for all three of them like was just so driven and focused and that was it and i understand that he comes from like nothing he lived in jamaica plain like was a poor kid i understand that singular vision of what you want to become Mm-hmm. And then what happens when you become the thing, when you've built the identity in your mind that you want to become, and then what what happens when you have to live inside that identity? That's And also the trickiness of having all that happen when the thing you want to live inside, the thing you want to be is an actor. Yes. Yes. Right? And a very serious actor. <laughs> like, yes. 
Um, so yeah, I watched, I watched Succession. I thought Succession was great. And then I also watched Insecure. Mm -hmm. And this last episode of Insecure was all about four girlfriends getting together who are in their like early thirties and they're supposed to have this big night out, but they don't wind up going out and they just wind up getting stoned and drunk in their house <laughs> in somebody's apartment. And like, it's such a true to life, like just getting stoned and hanging out and just eating with your girlfriends, especially when you're young, this hasn't happened to me in a really long time with, cause there's no kids, there's no husbands and all the things that start to come out as you're just mm -hmm. talking to each other more and like talking through like where all of you are at in your lives. And it was like a bottle episode, but I, I really found it super relatable and kind of a beautiful portrait of friendship. And I was really mm. super into it. That, that show can be uneven for me, but this was a really, really good episode of Insecure. So that's, I guess, what's on my mind. I've been watching the second season of The Great, which is very amusing. Oh, I don't even know that show. The Great is on Hulu, and it is very, 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 very loosely based on Catherine the Great's story. Okay, okay. And um, it's hilarious. I mean, okay. it's a trifle. It's not like an important show or anything, but it's just hilarious. Nicholas Holt plays Peter the Emperor. Okay. And, oh, what's the name? Elle Fanning? Oh, maybe? is it Elle Fanning, maybe? Yeah. Maybe. I get those there's a certain kind of young blonde actress kind of you know like all the junior varsity Kristen Dunst yes 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 there's like Elle Fanning and then there's um uh Mary Kate and Ashley's sister yes exactly I was just gonna say I think it's Elizabeth Olsen and then there's sure I can't even pronounce her name but she was in uh, uh Greta Gerwig's movies and um Anyway, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. I have so many movies I want to see. There's like a million Me movies. Too. Yeah. I want to see The House of Gucci, even if it's bad. Oh, I 100% want to see that. I want to see the new Mike Mills movie. I love a Mike Mills movie. Licorice Pizza. I know yes. we're both excited for. I went to the movie theater the other day. I mean, I took Charlotte to How see. How was that? I was, you know... I always, I'm, I get really easily distracted in movies. So I always sit really close to the front so that there's mm -hmm. not a lot of people in front of me. Um, so we were all the way in the front. So there's like, cause nobody wants to sit in the front and movie theaters are semi empty. Still. We saw Encanto, I think it's called. It was really good Disney movie. Um, but we were in the front and several rows to ourselves. So it was fine. It was fine. I felt fine about it. I'm, I'm trying to be more normal and test myself for COVID more consistently. But like I went to a party Friday night. I went to a work mm -hmm. party and wow. like you had to be tested and vaccinated before you went in. But I went to like a professional party for this company that I'm going to start doing a project with that I'll announce in the new year. But it was so fun. Like I got dressed up. I put on lipstick. I blew my hair dry. I I had like, you know, professional gossip with people, ran into people <laughs> I hadn't seen in a long time, had like a buzz. It was used my brain to try to sound smart, like networking. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I know, it was I know, fun. remember, 
remember parties. I know. Yes, I do remember parties. I remember being in my 20s and back in my 20s, like every magazine had a Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And you could always crash every magazine's Christmas party. And it was just like this time of year, I was just like hung over all the time. All the time. All the time and like loved it because, you know, before social media, that was really the only access you would get to writers you really loved. So mm-hmm. I remember like getting, you know, a little bit of liquid courage and like walking up to like a Esquire writer and saying, you know, I loved your piece on X, you know, mm-hmm. and no, I mean, who doesn't love to talk about their own writing if somebody's like a fan? So I would, I talk to writers and editors. Yeah. I crashed all those parties. They were super fun. I went to yeah. a Brett, I went to a Brett Easton Ellis party with, um, what, was it Brett Easton Ellis? I think it was. He had. He used to, uh, maybe he still does. I went to one of his Christmas parties. Yeah, he he had them. He had an apartment in the East Village. Yes. And it was not a very big apartment, but it was a very crowded party. Yes, yes. I went to that party with Ira and Minna. Well, that's not going to matter to anybody else, but I went, <laughs> I like wound up like rolling in with like a group of people. And um, he only had one bathroom that everybody had access to. And it was such a big Coke party. And I just had to pee. I wasn't doing coke. And I just had to pee. And it was just like the longest bathroom line. Oh, God. And everybody coming out was coming out in groups. And that's why coke culture was always so disgusting because it was just so like secretive and it was always in the bath. Like, it's also, is there a more irritating drug than cocaine? I, I, I agree. <laughs> is there a more irritating drug? You do a little, you feel really good. And then instantly you're like more, 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 more. Like it's a, I don't want that feeling. I don't want the feeling. I don't like the way, I mean, I was always a pothead over a cokehead. Just always, always, always. Me too. But I also don't want the way it turns you into an asshole, like an instant asshole, just an instant overconfident (laughs) asshole. (laughs) Yeah. And the jaw thing that your jaws like moving around weird. Oh, I, ugh. And the next morning waking up and feeling like you're embalmed. Like I really, oh. I have, I have zero cocaine is, was never my thing. But anyway, Brett Easton Ellis's party, there were a lot of Coke people and like, you could never pee. That's my, <laughs> that's my holiday memory. <laughs> oh, very funny. Um, very all right. Funny. Should we get into this episode? Yeah, let's get into it. It's a good one. It's a good one. Our guest today is Maris Kreisman. Maris is the host of The Maris Review, a literary podcast from LitHub. An essayist and critic, her work has appeared in the New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, The New Republic, Publishers Weekly, and many more. Welcome, Maris. It's so nice to be here. So you seem to read a ton of books. How do you choose what you read how do you how do you choose from all the things in the world to read? How do you pick books? Because I feel like this is a really overwhelming thing for a lot of people. I am overwhelmed daily, physically overwhelmed. I have stacks mm-hmm. of books that are threatening to fall on my dog at any moment. <laughs> um, and it's it's a mix. Um, I start, uh, you know, I've been following authors who I love for more than thirty years now, so I have my background with the people who I'm really invested in. 
And then I talk to a lot of publicists and editors, and there are ones that I really trust. And okay. if they say, Maris, you're going to love this. Um, and then, yeah, word of mouth still is, is a thing, even if for people getting galleys. If someone says, you've got to read this book, I, I'm probably going to read that book. Are, are there topics or authors or genres you're just a total sucker for? Yes. I, I always said Lori Moore has the sad, funny thing going. And if mm -hmm. there's wordplay and angst, <laughs> and, and I'm in it. And, uh, and that, that extends to like Elizabeth McCracken does that so well. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I do love, um, a tragedy that, that is, that involves a lot of laughing. Yes. You know, I, I was going to say with word of mouth, I feel like one of the things that has made word of mouth um, more difficult to parse is the sort of performative nature that often happens yeah. in like the hype of social media, where mm -hmm. you see a bunch of people hyping a book that, you know, you like, you follow, you trust. But there is a sort of performative hype, I think, that happens. Yeah. And maybe people yeah. even read the book. And then you get the book and you're like, this book is not great. And it's a very disappointing experience, right? Because you're like, you're like, I, I bought this book. I, everybody said this book was great. And so I guess like weeding through that, and it is just what you said, people you trust. Yeah. Yeah. But there is uh. a performative thing of, of promotion or like, you know, I, I'll promote you, you promote me that's happening across social media because promotion has been so put on the author, I feel like. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's, it's kind of why I've not done a lot of criticism lately because I'm um, more involved in just the cheerleading aspect, which I know... Not ideal, not ideal. But <laughs> why not though? Why not though? I because I this is like I'm thinking about what people would say about me on Twitter. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> That's the problem. I know. I know. It's um. There are so there are dwindling outlets that will have book features and and book reviews, and. As they become fewer and fewer, I find it becomes more and more important to advocate for the books that I actually love and want to talk about. Right. Um, and it's really hard to, to, to go deep. I think there are like two or three publications where you can go deep on a book. And, and, and those places don't pay that much. Right. Yeah, I remember. I remember reading a while ago that Columbia Journalism School just stopped teaching book reviewing. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. Yeah. No, but I mean, every media outlet I worked for, the directive in the last, like, let's say, ten years, the directive was always from the bosses because maybe they had a friend or maybe this. It was always mm -hmm. we recommend, we don't review. Yeah. And it was just like, okay. But and the other idea was that every that people just want to hear positive things. They don't want to see a book being slammed. They don't want to read criticism. It's not worth their time. And I, I don't know mm -hmm. how you feel about that. I don't think that's true, but it's interesting to think about. I always love reading a panel. 
Um, <laughs> I, I prefer not to be the one to do it. And right. the one not to be have it be done to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, a well executed pan. I'm not thinking of book reviews. I'm just thinking of Pete Wells right now. Oh, yeah. he wrote he wrote such good such a good diss of Eleven Madison Park recently. Yes, but I know what you mean. I'd rather read it than execute it. Right, because so many people are putting so much effort into their work that it's also like, you know, as a writer, like, oh, God, I don't want to take this down. You know, I think I, and you also can see how the machine kind of sucked them up, like with cat person, you know, maybe that person wasn't ready to have a whole collection, you know, maybe they had one good essay in them and you see how the machine sucks them up. You see how people who have a, like a good, a hot streak on a book. On one book, they get a book a deal immediately afterwards because they have to, and maybe they weren't ready to write that second book, and then they struggle. You know, it's just I have so much empathy now for writers and how the process goes and being a part of the business. You know, and I, I think that's why my criticism of books has moved really to criticism of the publishing industry as a yes. whole, because. It's very rare to see a great writer get a lot of support right from marketing for from you know for their advance um and it's it drives me crazy that all of Fox News can get a, can get a million dollar book deal and um, great writers often can't It also sounds like great writers don't get really edited you know, that there's just not as much book editing going on as there used to be. I think it's a real case-by-case thing. I certainly know editors who edit. I also know agents who edit Yeah, before they mm-hmm. even send out that proposal. And yeah, and then there are some who are so overwhelmed that they're working on 15 books a year or whatever it is, and they don't have time. Right. And we just devalue all of the important things in that process. Right, right. Well, let's get back to some books. I want to know yes. what your favorite novels of this year were. Okay. Um, <laughs> I loved Wayward by Dana Spiota. Okay. Um, she, she's, she's another person, like, she writes such beautiful sentences. Um, and she's so funny. It's about a middle-aged woman who um leaves her husband for a while and takes up residence in a an old house uh, near Syracuse and just tries to make sense of the world and, and I, I love a book where not that much happens yes <laughs> but there are things happening inside the main character's head at all times um I loved Katie Kitamura's book um Intimacies, obviously. Intimacies mm-hmm. by Katie Kinemura. Um, she is someone I've loved for a long time. And her latest book is about an interpreter at a at the, in the Hog. Um, Hague. In the Hague. Hague. Um, Hague, yeah. you got it. Hague. Um, and it's really about how unknowable people can be. I also love... Um, when We Cease to Understand the World by Benjamin Labatut. It's an NYRB book, and it was one of those books that kind of made me see what the novel could be. Um, and Harlem Shuffle. Oh, yeah. Colts and Whitehead. 
Oh, Colson Whitehead. It must be exciting, though, to have read as many books as you do, to have been in this business for three decades and still feel like you just said that you're learning new things that a novel can do. Yeah, and, and that's why I, I have so many frustrations with so many things about the way the world of media works and the world of publishing works. But fundamentally, there's nothing better to me than finding a book that can do something new. Yeah, yeah. And just like, yeah, that's just complete and, and discovering a new voice too, right? That's outside of the echo chamber that isn't getting mm-hmm. the attention. You know, I looked at your, uh, your bookshop list and I was like, I've no, I didn't, I missed all of these books this year. Like not most of them. Like I didn't know Morgan Parker had, it was a re-release of her poetry collection. Like I love Morgan Parker. And she's I, great. And it has yeah. a new intro by Denise Smith. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, where should we be looking? Like, where should we be looking for books? I, I think, I feel like I'm not getting the right information. I mean, and it, part of it is because of what you just said, the book coverage is so down like where are we supposed to find them outside of performative insta bookstagrams and twitter <laughs> you know like where am i supposed to find book, book? talk jen okay <laughs> book talk is book talk a thing oh yes <laughs> oh wow of course um, it is once again and i don't want this to be the case but there are people i follow on goodreads okay who i know are going to be really interesting and who are looking at things that that most people aren't tweeting about Okay. Um, so, so that's part of it. And then, and then I don't know, it's really, really hard because I get so much information directly from publishers and publicists. Right. And even in terms of me looking up what books are coming out, it's, it's a complicated process using a weird website that is hard to use. And okay. it took me years to figure out how to master it. <laughs> So there's really no central place that you can just go. There's no like IMDB of books where you can just kind of go and look at what's coming up. Right. Who was the the most recent author who like surprised you? Melissa Fabos um, wrote an essay collection called Girlhood. Mm. And I thought, I thought that I knew everything that I already knew about how girls are raised in this country and in this world um and all of the implications feminist and otherwise that come out of it and she kind of nailed for me this this feeling let me tell you though she she has an essay about going to a cuddle party okay and feeling like incredibly stressed out because you're supposed to be able to say I do or don't feel like cuddling with you and she would always feel guilty if she wanted to say I don't want to and so many of our interactions or my interactions have that same feeling of I know I don't have to do this but I also feel in my gut that I have to do this and how do I break free from that and she she just, of course, doesn't have an answer, but but asks the right questions. I'm still stuck on cuddle party. <laughs> well, I'm stuck on consent, right? And I'm stuck on I'm stuck on just how I think it's interesting thinking about how we're raising girls 
now versus how we were raised and the internalized patriarchy that we all have, that the mothers of today all have, you know, it's things have not changed that much in, in terms of if you are, you know, if you are a mother and how you reframe things for a new generation so that they can really think about consent and not think about things the way you thought about them, which was entirely fucked up. So that's, I mean, yes, but cuddle party is also interesting, but of course <laughs> people want to cuddle. We have no human touch anymore. Like, of course, people are like, cuddle me. Although, I don't know. Like, I don't know. A COVID cuddle party just sounds yeah, a that's, gross. Yeah, that's extra bad. But um, <laughs> no, I just love that Melissa was kind of grossed out by the whole thing. Yeah. And, like, and um, she t just talks about how that feeling can, like, lead you to getting lunch with someone who really wants to have lunch with you and you don't really want it. But it's easier just to say yes than to say no. Right. Right. And right. that's where the consent part comes in. Like you say yes. Do you mean yes in your gut? Let's take a quick break for some ads. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Support for everything is fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks 
more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. It's interesting because the consent thing goes into work too. It's so Mm -hmm. much easier to say yes than to say Mm -hmm. no. I've had that in work so many times of like, I'll take on, I don't, oh, I don't want to make that person feel bad. Even though I know their project is shit and I shouldn't get involved in it, I'd rather sacrifice myself than make them feel bad in the moment. And that, you know, I mean, that gets us into a lot of issues with work, not just our romantic relationships. I feel like we transfer a lot of our dysfunction from romantic relationships into our professional lives as we get older. And it's just like the cycle just keeps going and keeps going. Yeah. I'm there with you. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you and I want to talk more about books, but I, um, the essay you wrote a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago, you know, where, where did my ambition go? And I thought about it. It was like so perfectly timed. It was sort of in the middle of the pandemic, but there was, you have this great line in there that says, where does ambition go when jobs disappear and the things you've been striving for barely exist, barely even exist anymore? And what if the things for which you've been striving no longer feel important because they're the spoils of a rotten system that needs a complete overhaul? How are you thinking about how are you finding yourself in your career these days? It's a struggle. I, and, and I still think of those questions every single day, every minute. Yeah. And, you know, Jennifer, I met you in the year 2000 when we were both at the Radcliffe Publishing course together. Yes. And at the time, I had a very clear-cut idea of the glamorous world of book publishing and what that might bring me. And I was certainly under the impression that if I worked hard enough, I would move up that ladder and um, one day have, you know, an office and an assistant or like whatever, and maybe edit some good books. And, And I just feel like that path for me has been derailed multiple times. And the more I look at what, the big book publishers are doing the less I want to be employed by them. Yeah. Um, even now, even now that there seems like there's being some kind of correction. There's still so much more work to do. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's, I, I've kind of gone back and started to think about like, what did I think work was when I was a kid? Like when I watched working girl, what did I take away from that? You know, <laughs> And so I'm trying to write a book about all of the things that I thought were the way the world works. Yeah. And all of the things that I kind of have to unlearn. I want to hear more about that. So I have type 1 diabetes. And this is this is a good metaphor for everything because I grew up thinking that if I raised enough money for the JDF walkathon... <laughs> Um, that I would be helping to cure diabetes. And 
I had such hope in that system. And 30 years later, more, um, I just want to make sure that people aren't dying from lack of access to insulin. Right. And it's just a matter of looking at my priorities and and going back and, and reshaping them. I I feel you and I think I think we're working on similar projects is what I think. Yeah, I think we are. I, I think, think we, we are. are. And then the, it even even in the world of relationships, right? Like I was single for a long long time and everyone had advice for me and I was supposed to work on myself and figure out what I want and not be too picky. And it just happened that I met the right person by accident. Yeah. And I'm so, so lucky, but I don't think it's anything more than that. I don't think Mm. any of this is anything more than that. And I think that, I think think that it's, you know, I mean, also, well, I think with professionally, it's like luck and your capacity it's almost a lack of integrity, a lot of the success, right? I mean, it's like your capacity to bend over and, and you know, mm-hmm. be manipulated, like your capacity to play the game and work the system. And if the yeah. system wants you inherently and like, you know, I, I know people in my life and I'm sure you do too, who are completely unwilling to see their success, very successful people who are completely unwilling to see their success as anything but a meritocracy. Yes. Mm-hmm. When we're very, very aware that there are people as talented, if not more talented, who will never get there. Yeah. And it's like you were in the right place. It was the right time. You were willing to do what it took, which sometimes is kind of gross, like, you know, <laughs> having an agent who you don't respect at all, um, you know, having, a, you know, doing some promotion and outlets that maybe were really unsavory. Like you were just willing to take the steps and hold your nose and just keep plowing through. And that is not a fucking meritocracy. (laughs) And we were raised to think, and you were a really good girl. I was a less of a good girl. I don't, Kim, I don't know where you were in this, but you, we were raised to think, you know, we got good grades and you checked all the boxes and you did it all right. And there was going to be an outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not the way it works. And I'm especially furious at the people who are very successful and don't own, don't like pull the curtain for all the rest of yeah. everybody, yep. you yep. know, and, and diffuse this situation. No, I knew from the moment I got that job at Lucky that it could have been any number of other people. You know, it it just could have been. It could have been any number of other people. But, you know, the other thing I learned at that job was it is about playing the game. You can break the rules, but you must always, always play the game. And some of us are not good players at the game. That doesn't mean I'm not skilled. I'm just not that great at it. Like, I'm just like, it makes me uncomfortable, you know? And I don't, I guess the ultimate thing is with ambition, I don't want the prize enough. Yeah. The prize is not worth it to me. I don't care. I don't need to be at that level. You know, I had somebody say to me recently, they were talking about like, well, when you're at my level, and I was like, oh, fuck you. (laughs) Oh, gross. I know who said that to you and it's double gross that it was that person. (laughs) But anyway, so, so you're, you're working on, you are working on a book about this, but you're also like finding ways, you're finding pockets. I, I find your career really interesting. Because you're always working, you have a huge following, you're really influential, 
And it seems like you go after your interests, like your, your career seems really interest-based with a passion-based, which I think is the best way to have it, right? And I'm glad it appears that way. It totally does. It's pretty new. It's pretty new. Yeah. For me. And, and I, in this sample chapter, I'm writing for my book proposal. It's about how when I first got into book publishing, I read everything. And by everything, I mean everything that was on the bestseller list, every self-help book, every thriller about dead women, you know, right. um, celebrity memoirs. Like, I, I wanted to learn how this thing worked. Right. And it's been such a pleasure to me to have the confidence and you know and and the health insurance that my husband provides me uh, <laughs> to be able to follow my own bliss a little bit more yeah um, and one of the things I have my podcast because I had I've, I realized that I love profiling authors and there are so few places now that will publish a profile of an author yeah um, so I felt like why, why bother when I could just start a podcast and talk to them myself and, and that yeah. be the means to the end. Um, and yet, and, and that's another matter of circumstance, right? Like if I hadn't met my husband, Josh, I would still be at a corporate job because right. I need that health insurance so much. Right. Mm-hmm. And my life would be entirely different. Not because I was better or worse. Right. Right. How do you deal with, um, we talk a lot, we've talked a lot on the show with people who have, you know, two creatives in a relationship. Um, And I am similarly married to a writer and, you know, I, I don't know how this works for you. If you guys read each other's stuff, whatever I have had, there are times that I have felt, I'll be perfectly honest, resentment at my husband because he is a, you know, a cis white man and um, cis straight white man. And I feel like opportunities, I've watched them just sort of roll in a river toward him. And I've hustled for every single thing I've ever had. Um, And what, how's that for you? (laughs) (laughs) What does your husband do, by the way? Oh, yeah, sorry. So my husband is a writer for the TV show Jesus and Mario. He was previously at Last Week Tonight, where he won a bunch of Emmy Awards. And that was wonderful because I got to be his plus one and stare Mm -hmm. at everybody. And he's lovely. Um, Like the whole world, like he seems like the loveliest man, by the way. I just want to say that. Like, And he is. He really is. And he, he also freelances and and writes for various outlets and um i think one thing that really helps is that for a while people would be like maris you should write for tv because the book industry is dying and like that's what you should do and i i kind of thought like i don't think i'd be good at that (laughs) (laughs) and he is and it's nice to see him thrive yeah. And he works his ass off. Right. Um, I, I think mostly I get um, frustrated when he can lay down on the couch, sit with a laptop on his belly, and, like, type something up real quick. 
And he's written like a, a thousand word piece that's due tomorrow, you know, in the space mm-hmm. of like a half hour. And uh, that's just not how my brain works at all. So very jealous of that. Well, I was just wondering if you have like how it works to live with another creative person. Like what are the logistics like? How much space do you give each other and how much do you need each other to be productive? Um, we are in a space where we will read the final thing before we turn it into the editor or whoever. Um, but before that, I like to talk to Josh about the things that I'm working on, but I'm not going to show him anything that I've written really. Um, and I mean, even in terms of our apartment, like, especially during COVID, we have two bedroom apartment and one bedroom was supposed to be the like office slash guest room. And it kind of turned out being my husband's office because he couldn't go into work and he had actual meetings and work to do. And, um, and and it was also a podcast studio. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I started going to the Center for Fiction in downtown Brooklyn. Um, has a program where you can um, work monthly there, and um, it's nice to have that third space again. I really really needed it. Yeah, yeah. Because you can become coworkers too, I find. Like you can you can become a little too much of coworker. And like mm-hmm. then you're like, wait, where's our relationship? I like you as a coworker, but like this is a little <laughs> this is a little weird. Um should we get back to books since we are we are in a Christmas season, holiday or holiday yes. season, and yes. people are looking for gifts for books. I mean, or maybe they're looking, they're looking for gifts, but maybe they want to gift some books. I don't know. Kim, yeah. do you want to gift books? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I gift books. I always like gifting books, but I have a question because somebody said on my Facebook feed not long ago, somebody please suggest for me some authors who are not depressing. And at first I was like, where, where, that's kind of annoying. But then I was like, no, I kind of like that. Like Lori Colwin, mm-hmm. like just made me endlessly happy. I mean, there was like pathos in her books, but it was not a depress. They were not depressing. Samantha books. Irby, like, yeah, Catherine Heine, um, wrote a new introduction to one of the Laurie Colwin books that was reissued this year, and she has a really similar thing going on. Her her books are not not sad, but overall they're hopeful and buoyant, and uh, I really recommend her stuff. Um, but 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 overall, yeah, it is hard to find <laughs> books that aren't depressing, and uh, that's kind of why I love them. <laughs> right, I like a dark book too. But in terms of gifts this year, book gifts. If I'm like, there's this. So I I just got back from Iceland a couple weeks ago, and in Iceland, the tradition they have on Christmas Eve, they don't really give each other a ton of gifts. They all give each other books. So ever you get one book, right? I just kind of love this idea, the simplicity of it. I mean, it probably wouldn't be great for you since you're dying of books, but yes. <laughs> um, but I, I've been thinking, you know, like, what would I get my mother-in-law? What would I get? Like, what's a, what's a, what are some great books that we haven't thought of to buy as gifts this year? Yeah, I think that Matrix by Lauren Groff, um, is a novel about nuns in the 16th century. There are no male characters in that book. 
it is one of the most propulsive and sexy and exciting books I've read all year. Wow. And so I think I think that that's a great one. Um for my dad, um, and for for Jewish dads everywhere, really. Um, <laughs> Mel Brooks has a new memoir out. Yeah. It's so perfect. For the for music people, I know that Jennifer, you you have some in, in your home. Um <laughs> major label by Khalifa Sana. Oh, um, he's amazing. Yeah. He, he's he's so good. And he makes you think about why you like music and why you like the music you do, um, which I think is really fun. And he takes you back through the last like 50 years of music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. You know, cookbooks, always a good idea. Right. What are some good, what are some, are there some good new cookbooks that you're like that one? That's, that's the one that, of the year. I love Julia Tertian's new one, which again, we'll have to look up, but it's about comfort foods, about healthy comfort foods mm -hmm. and how foods that inherently give us comfort are inherently healthy. Yeah. Hmm. Which is something, which is another thing to relearn for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. And it's a beautiful book and it's, it's charming and the recipes are good. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the relearning, the relearning at this age. It's, you know, we've talked about this before, Jen, like you have to sort of put yourself on manual in a way that you didn't when you were younger and learning things the first time. It's just, it's just a little harder. Everything's a little creakier. And just reimagining, reimagining what your life is. You know, one of the things that I think about a lot is what happens when the dream is not worthy of the dreamer, right? And then where do you where do you move from that original dream? You know, when I was at Condé Nast, I was always kind of tracking what happened to the editor-in-chiefs after they left. Mm. Where did they go? <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot, <laughs> right? Nobody taught. There was, there was, there's just like, it's just sort of like the map just ended. Like there was just like a cliff, you know? And... I never wanted to be a magazine editor in chief because of that, because I couldn't see where they went next. You know, um, they do a podcast with their really good friend <laughs> who used to work with them. That's lovely. That is but lovely. I think it is yeah. like you, you, it, it appears that you enjoy this and that you're good at it. And so it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's not as high powered as we might have. Um, wanted to believe we could be but I, i'm trying to really get it to appreciate the things that actually give me pleasure oh god success on that level was the worst thing that ever happened to me yeah. i talk about it all the time here and so i will sh not say anything else but it's true and my boyfriend's the same way he was very successful around the same time i was very successful and we both just handled it atrociously you kim's know, boyfriend it's, it's, is the school of rock guy school of oh. rock yes that's the kim kim's boyfriend is who they based school of rock on the jack black yes character. exactly the jack black yes um <laughs> I, yeah i didn't i didn't love it i mean i didn't have success but i was i was pretty close and i was like ah 
get me away. I can't this because it's so everything's kind of like fake. It was a very, it's it just like what your relationships with people are really skewed. And you know, who's written about this beautifully is a, um, Elisa Albert has written about this beautifully. She has an essay on ambition that I read all the time about people looking over their shoulder you know, looking over your shoulder until they like, there's a moment of recognition where somebody thinks you're worth something and somebody yeah, no, no, thinks no. you're worth talking to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I don't know if I want to be judged on that value, you know? So it's a, it's, it's, it's a really complicated situation. What do you still want to do besides you want to write another, you want to write another book because you've written one book before. Yes. That was more of a, coffee table kind of um blog to book kind of yes book. So it was fun though it was i would a like fun to book. write thank you i would yes. like to write a full one um and then yeah i would like to continue doing my podcast and hopefully also write in other outlets sometime yeah um and i i, I think i think that's like pretty solid in terms of what yeah. I want to do. And 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 one of the things that I have been trying to put more of my ambitions into is community and mutual aid. And um it's a long process. I hope to do more of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, particularly around health and you know healthcare and and equity in healthcare and i totally mm-hmm. see that as a as a noble thing to want to be involved in for sure our country's healthcare system is obviously a disaster compared to a disaster uh, compared to everyone else in our position <laughs> everyone else i wonder since we did talk a little bit about the book industry and how it's challenging for authors. I wonder how people who love books can support authors in ways that they might not be thinking about. Yeah. Um, one of the things I hate to say, but I will say is that rating a book on Amazon or on Goodreads highly, um, is a real help to authors. Um, they're, they're get books, get more invisibility that way. Um, you know, telling people if you like a book in whatever manner you can use to tell them, whether it's in person or on social media. Yeah. And then remember that requesting a book from the library is also a really good way to support Mm. an author and it doesn't cost you anything. What would you say about the publishing landscape right now to beginning writers, to writers who are working on their first book? <laughs> Sorry. I've, I'm sure you have a positive answer. I'm like... <laughs> um, I mean, on the plus side for a writer just starting out, the publishing industry loves a writer who's just starting out. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um. I remember turning 36 and thinking, well, my 535 National Book Foundation Award is <laughs> not within reach. Um, and then by the time I was 40, it was like, oh, you're over the hill. 
And so there was like a five-year period when I was just like regular. Um, But I would say my earnest advice is to write the book you want to write and not what you think the market wants and what you think your, what your agent thinks will sell. Um, and, and I don't know if I'm damning you to a lifetime of pain if I, if I tell you that, but I, but I, I really believe it. I really believe that you can, you write the best stuff when it's something that you have to write. Yeah. And it's going to be out there forever. Right. Mm-hmm. And the more concessions you make, and I know this from experience because I, you know, I, I was steered away very profoundly from being too negative in my first book, from talking about trauma, from, I was really steered in a way to keep things upbeat and positive. And I was steered into that. And I, I, I regret it. I look at that book and I read it now and I don't think it's poorly written and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, except there's a lot of like winks and grins and dimples when I actually felt Mm. really bad about work. And I wish I would have said more of that. Um, but it was, you know, it was like, "Mm, you know, (laughs) this, this might be polarizing or, you know, I was told I wanted to write a chapter about crying at work. And I was told, um, no, no one wants, there's, you can't sustain a whole chapter about that. And I was like, someone wrote a whole, someone wrote a whole book about crying yeah. at work. Exactly. And I think about that a lot. And I, I wasn't even that young, but I was emotionally young. I was emotionally young and I still wanted it. So I just wanted the approval of my editors and my agent. I wanted them to like me and think I was a good girl. And so I did what they told me to do because I wanted to be a good girl. I turned the book in this, you know, the exact date it was due. I probably should have taken longer on it. I played the rules instead of like going with, played by the rules instead of going with my gut. And I think about it a lot because it was not, it was not a good publishing experience in part because I made all of those concessions, you know? I should point out it's that it is a very good book. Thank you. It's It's a great book. (laughs) It's fine. But I know it doesn't matter because I know. You know, yeah. and I guess it should be said that, like, of course, you have to make some concessions yes. uh, to the experts who are working on your book who, who know a thing or two. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that I've worked at a lot of different places, and sometimes I really believe in believed in the message of the company. And sometimes I really, really didn't. Yes. And when I didn't, I was really unhappy, even if I got a nice paycheck. Yes. And making smarter decisions. I think even talking about being a new author, making smarter decisions, instead of just being like, oh my God, I just want a deal so bad. I just, you know, it's like, you don't just want any deal. You want a deal with people who care about you, care about your writing, the, you know, take a less money for that, if you can, for that situation and, you know, talk to people, know how to ask the right questions. I really do think that that in any creative project, knowing, feeling empowered enough to ask the right questions, because Mm. as creative people, we often feel so disempowered and just like, well, we're just so lucky. We're just so lucky that they're (laughs) even giving us their time. 
Yes. That we don't feel like we can flex a little bit and be like, I want to know how you're going to think about marketing this. I want to know how you're going to think about me as an author. You know, like those questions that wind up being so important at the end of the process. So I think, I think I, 100%. And I think that it's very easy for a new author to get caught up in the idea of the book without thinking about, okay, so what's the career? Yes. And what comes after the book? Right. Yes. Well, and it's not their fault. It's no, not their of course fault. not. It's what everyone, you know. And, you know, a lot of starting writers have day jobs and they're doing this for no money at That's night. Right. And if you get offered a few thousand bucks, can't, can't fault I'm anyone all- for taking it. No. I'm also thinking about that, you know, about what you guys are saying about trusting your gut over trusting your gut over the information you're being fed. And there's just something about learning how to trust your gut. Like, okay, that's a terrible gut decision that I just made. Right. 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 Like learning, like having an informed, having an informed gut decision, right. Instead of just, because sometimes our guts can be like, we're just triggered. We're uncomfortable. We're like, we're being, we're being too impulsive, you know, but really having the the wherewithal to be like, oh, I'm going to take a step back. Whatever the deal is, it doesn't have to be in publishing. It just could be anything. I, you know, why am I feeling bullied right now? Am I feeling bullied right now because this person's actually bullying me? Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, those, <laughs> these are the gifts of getting older. It's not that we give fewer fucks the way people talk about it all the time. Yeah, I'm just an old, old lady. I don't care. It's like mm-hmm. what we actually have is to bring is self-awareness, thoughtfulness, you know, the self-awareness of knowing yourself and knowing that like, well, this won't work for me, even if it is the smartest thing to do. It doesn't matter if it's not going to work for me. That's, you know, that, that comes up a lot, I think, as we get older. Yeah. I wish, I wish someone had told me when I was really young and starting out to take a minute to think about how I'm feeling about everything. Yeah. I feel like I was kind of programmed like I was going to make the climb and do the things and there was no room to have an outside thought. Right. Right. Yeah. And sometimes things are just so like, you know, when, when lucky happened, I was aware that that could be a recipe for a great deal of unhappiness for me. But how do you say no to that? Right. Like, how do you say no to a like $300,000 book deal with Somebody who also does book deals with all of Fox News, for instance. <laughs> it's, and I think it's one of those things where that's also a lot to ask of an individual person right. to, mm-hmm. to, to, to have the wherewithal to turn down success and money and right. power. And I, I think that's another thing that you have to really, it takes years to learn. I don't think that I would have been able to know what I wanted in that way. No, no. And again, I don't even know if that is an age thing. That's an emotional maturity thing, which I didn't Mm -hmm. have even in my early forties. But I will say this, I read, I'm obsessed with this article that, um, from the Atlantic from a couple of years ago that talks about the sort of your career viability is ending sooner than you think. And it was like talking about how in most professions, your career viability, like there's a cliff and you're about to go off it when, I don't know, you're in your fifties, your sixties, who knows. But the exception to that is novelist. 
post 50 people, there's more success of novelists post 50 than most any other profession. So if you have, if you want to write a novel post 50, now's your time. <laughs> it's like, it was a very hopeful stat. I was like, huh, could I figure out how to write a novel? <laughs> Maris, where can people find you? Because I want them to be able to find you and get your book recommendations because they're always so good. Thanks. Well, you can find Maris Review wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Maris Kreisman. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> thank you, thank so, you so much. much for coming on, Maris. This felt like therapy to me, so thank you both. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you're listening to podcasts. It really helps people find our show. If you want to support the show and support the production of the show, we have a Patreon. You can throw us a couple bucks every month. Um, it really helps us with production costs. And you also will get access to bonus episodes and exclusive blog content. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find the the show on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. You can email us at everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail.com. And you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.